Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. With Scotland getting their Nations League campaign underway against Armenia last night, we'll look at how the national side managed to respond to their Ukraine playoff defeat. We'll also assess what's next for League One champions Cove Rangers after the departure of their manager Paul Hartley and the potential outgoings and some incomings at Aberdeen. Ryan Cryle is still away, so it's up to myself, Jamie Durant, to man the fort once again. Joining me today are Andy Skinner, Danny Law, and a long, long-awaited return for Callum Law. How are we, guys? Very well, thank you. Very well, yeah. Uh, grand, thank you. Well, we'll start, as we did last week, to with Hamden Park. And Andy, you were obviously there. Um, Scotland got their Nations League uh, campaign underway with a with a 2-0 win against Armenia relatively relatively straightforward but what was what was your take on the game exactly that really just it was straightforward as as it needed to be um you know there was never going to be any sense that Scotland were were going to to right the wrongs of last week by by anything that they they did last night but uh you know just getting back on the on the horse i suppose and 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 getting some sort of uh, you know winning rhythm back going again was was all that was uh, up, you know up for grabs really. Um, it it just gets the the nations league off to off to that uh, that winning start and it gives gives Scotland now something to try and build towards. Um, you know it's a, a quick turnaround of, of games now coming up with um, the Republic of Ireland on on Saturday followed by a um, a return trip to Armenia. So you know there there is a good chance there to. To, to get you know a, a, a three victory sequence I suppose uh, which again you know would get people talking about the potential road to, to Euro 2024 and um, you know there's a long way to go before that uh, that's that's going to be you know the case but at least the the narrative could could change a, a wee bit you know from some of the the gloom that we we all felt and uh, took badly last week. Um, it, it, it was quite a, an encouraging sort of show of our strength and depth. I thought last night as well because you know six changes were made from the start, which surprised me a wee bit. I, I thought with a, a week between the two games, then there might have been a little bit more continuity. But um, maybe it was a sign that that Clark, um, you know, was perhaps unhappy with certain parts of the team on on Wednesday or. Uh, you know, just the the way that certain areas on the field functioned. Uh, I think the back three was maybe quite a, a a telling one. It was a completely new and and fresh back back three that he played with Scott McKenna, Jack Hendry, and John Souter, who who all performed really well. They weren't uh, put up to much test by Armenia, I have to say, but uh, it, it certainly showed that the options are there, which I think we always knew. It's it's just a case of now trying to trying to build towards what is that that best eleven really going into some of the the crunch games that we are going to have to confront if we're if we're going to be back in contention for more major tournaments. I don't really think what you're saying there, Andy, that we know or Steve Clark knows what Scotland's best eleven is now because I know it was lesser opposition in Armenia, but to me you saw the benefit of actually playing players that are in form because if you look at the back three, McKenna. It's helped Nottingham Forest get promoted. Hendry's won the league in Belgium. Souter was Hart's best player in the Scottish Cup final and had a good end to the season. Whereas the Ukraine game, you had McTomney, who for me has never been a centre-half. 
Cooper, who has had both him personally and Leeds have had poor seasons, and Hanley, although I thought he did all right, has been relegated with Norwich, and they are sort of looked at as maybe the established back three, but I think I don't think now they should be looked on as that because they should. To me, they showed last week they weren't up to it. So I think going into like the Ireland game, I would like to see like the sort of young brigade that played against Armenia continue. Really, I think as well. I mean, I think I think what has to be said is that um, like the Nations League is just. Amazing, it's brilliant, and um, I mean Scotland are Scotland are amazing at the Nations League, and you know it was the, I mean hugely disappointing the Ukraine game, but um, but I mean when it comes to the Nations League, like we're I mean we are superb at it. Um, I thought um, I thought Anthony Ralston was very good and Andy Robertson as well. Um, so I would I'd like to think that you know. Ralston gets another shot and I think he gave a bit more balance than obviously trying to, you know, shoehorn Hickey into the team um on the on the right side, which obviously didn't really work as well. Um but I mean I think from from this position, looking at the other two teams in the group, it bodes well, albeit I think you have to say that, you know, Armenia weren't up to much. It was um, you know, very defensive. But you've still got to break a team like that down. Um but I mean they they it's it's surprising that they managed to you know do do so well against Ireland. You could see that they had one or two players that were quite tricky, and there was a couple of times where they threatened and they got away and they put Scotland under a little bit of pressure, and their keeper pulled off a couple of good saves. But I mean, uh, that could have been a, a four or five nil five nil win, I think. I think given given that the group does include say an Ireland team that's kind of badly struggling for form at the minute, and a Ukraine side who we've kind of got the measure of over. Oh, we kind of know what they're capable of after obviously the disappointment of the playoff game. I think the target, the target will will probably have to be for for top spot um, and kind of given the prizes that that come with that. I think I mean it has to be really in the Nations League. Um, that's that that's basically the the aim of the game is is to finish top and uh, and by doing that, then you know you give yourself that that's don't want to call it a safety net because you've still got a bit of work to do if you do uh, find yourselves in the in, in the playoffs but you know it, it gives you comfort of knowing that you've at least got a chance if you if you do mess up the uh, the qualification group um it's it's a much more forgiving process i suppose to qualify through the normal um qualification section for the euros cuz top two spots go straight into the tournament so you know we've got that to look forward to but um, yeah, I, I think we've obviously reflected quite long and hard on the the Ukraine game, and you know there's there's an awful lot that you know we feel comes from within um, as as to how we can approach it better and, and put up a better showing against Ukraine. As good as they were on the on the night, I'd like to think that by the time the the games against them come, you know, later on in the the year, uh, we might have built up a a little bit more momentum and. Just yeah, going back to what Callum and Danny have said there, you know, certain positions like right wing back as well with with Ralston um, really staking a claim last night. Players that that will be just that little bit more familiar with with their role within the the setup, um, because no, it, it was clear we didn't do ourselves justice at all last last week. But um, I mean, certainly from this camp, uh, as I say, nine nine points is got to be a realistic aim based on what we've seen from 
Armenia and uh, <laughs> bluntly, I would uh, I, I would hazard a guess that Ireland can't be up to much just now if if they lost to to that Armenian side last night. Um, no, I think they're they're going through tough times just now. But I, I mean, we've we've had some tough games against Ireland in in the past. Uh, they always have that derby edge to them, if you want to put it that way. I suppose. Um, it, I, I would imagine it will be a, a battle of sorts in in Dublin on Saturday. So you know they they will see it as an opportunity to to redeem themselves. I think they've even though they've got a really poor record, they they have drawn with Portugal in the in recent uh, past. So. Um, yeah, no, we're we're certainly we've got off to a winning start, but uh, it's it's early days as as yet. The one thing that worries me to be really pessimistic about playing Ireland is they haven't won a competitive home game for three years. So if you look at it by sort of law of averages, are, are the due a home win in a competitive game, and might that come on Saturday? But I, with the whole thing, talk about positions against Armenia as well. I would have liked to have seen Ross Stewart. Uh, get a bit longer on the park because Scotland are 2-0 up at half time they were cruising, could he not uh, at least I had half an hour you know, off the bench to see see what he could do and I dare say some of the chances that fell to Jay Adams in the second half, Ross Stewart might have buried one of them because he got the, what, the last three minutes plus injury time, what do you really learn about him in that time when the game's basically done and although he's maybe a bit raw around the edges and uh, you know, Adams gives you other attributes. To me, Ross Stewart's okay. He's played, you know, at a lower level, but to me, he's a better goal scorer and a better finisher and more likely to score than Jay Adams. So I think if you're looking ahead again with the national team, bedding him in potentially and trying to find out a bit more about how he actually will operate in the team and the way Steve Clark wants to play would have been something I would have liked to have seen. I guess so. There's probably a, a good chance that you know he's going to get a lot more game time over these next two games, um, and maybe the game last night was just a, a bit of a, a bedding in process. Just give him a little bit of game time, give him that bit of hunger for it. And I mean, having so many international games in such quick succession, he's going to have to you know balance the squad. And I I would anticipate you know there'll be more changes again for the next couple of games, and it wouldn't be a massive surprise if you know. Stuart maybe starts one of the one of the next two games. Yeah, if you look at it, you've got Ross Stewart, Jacob, and Jacob Brown was another that came off the bench for the last last couple of minutes last night. And I think you've got you've got David Turnbull and Alan Campbell in the squad that haven't featured yet. And who knows, maybe maybe one of the goalkeepers comes in for for one of the games just to kind of give Steve Clark an idea of what what options he's he's got in in reserve. Say, because obviously Craig Gordon's not gonna not gonna go on forever, but. I mean, Andy, are you kind of are you kind of encouraged by what you'd seen last night in in terms of the depth that Scotland's Scotland kind of appear to have going forward? Yeah, um, absolutely. And to be fair, I, I have been for some time. It, it seems with with every um, camp that we we go away on, there there seems to be one player that that comes to the fore um, and and really announces himself as as a really strong candidate. Uh, I mean. This time around, it was definitely Anthony Ralston. Um, but in in the past, I mean, we saw the impact that John Souter made against Denmark, and you know he he kind of played his his way into into contention for that slot. Um, obviously, at the Euros, we had Billy Gilmore. Uh, you know, it just it seems as if the the options just keep keep coming. But 
Um, yeah, this is definitely one where, where rotation is going to be needed because of just how quickly the games come around. And um, up front is, is an area that I, I, would, I would have liked to have seen Che Adams get a goal or two last night because it, it looks increasingly like he, he will become probably the main option there. We're without Lyndon Dykes just now because of injury. But, um, you know, just with the level that Adams is playing at, uh, you know, it, it probably does lend itself to to him being the, the first pick up front. But again, that, that opportunity for Ross Stewart hopefully will, will come in these next two games to, to, to go and, and put his case forward. Um, you know, he's going to have the chance to, to prove himself at championship level this coming season. So, um, you know, he can, he can really put himself into the into the frame there because the, I suppose the argument that's maybe counted against him is the fact that all these goals have come in in League One but you know he's definitely a player that's on the on the rise and he's got a lot of the attributes that that we will be looking for in in international football um, but in, in terms of the, the depth um, in general just as, as I say given the level that so much of the squad is now playing at then that there's definitely reason to be encouraged. It's just a case of, you know, having a, a clear idea of, you know, exactly who comes in if someone misses out and uh, not having to sort of shuffle the pack in, in the way that we, we did last last week against Ukraine, which which clearly didn't didn't pay off. Well, Scotland are back in action at the weekend with a trip to Dublin and then it's off to Yerevan next week to face Armenia as uh, the busy international camp comes to a close. That's it for part one of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part two, we'll move on to a big week of change at Culver Rangers. Welcome to part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal and it's been a fairly significant time for the League One champions, Cove Rangers. Um, on Friday, it, kind of the news emerged that manager Paul Hartley would be departing for English League Two side Hartlepool United. It had appeared initially that they'd fended off interest in in their manager um, with, with Hartley appearing to kind of turn down the initial interest and stay Stay with Cove, but towards the end of last week, the the kind of northeast club returned with an improved offer, which tempted Hartley and his assistant Gordon Young to to swap one northeast for another. Um, and I think for 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 me, guys, I think the timing of the departure maybe kind of surprised people because it said that it's only a couple of weeks before Cove came come back for pre season. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if kind of you you guys feel the same or what was your what was your kind of your initial reaction to the news? A big shock actually because we thought that um, you know we thought that Hartley had <clears throat> turned down Hartlepool. Um, so you know then when we kind of heard that oh things are possibly changing again, um, that that was a surprise. Um, I think I can understand why he's you know decided to take that job. Um, it's a chance to go to a club where. You know, back in full-time football, and obviously, if he does a good job there, then you know the chance to move up um, into you know higher levels of English football is there. Um, and he maybe thinks that at Cove Rangers, he's you know enjoyed a lot of success with them. But I mean, I think you know under Hartley, I expected Cove to you know be a 
you know, consolidate in the championship this season, have a good season. I wasn't expecting them to be, you know, scrapping and fighting for survival. I had quite high hopes about, you know, what was happening at Cove under Hartley. Um, I still think that, you know, whoever comes in is going to inherit a team that is going to be, you know, equipped well enough to compete at a championship level. But yeah, it was a it was a big surprise. And I think it's a big blow for Cove as well because it seemed that Cove Rangers and Paul Hartley, you know, worked well for each other. It was they they suited each other. They um and you know Paul Hartley's done a, a tremendous job since since he went in there. So um and the person that comes in to replace him will inherit a good squad, but is also going to be um walking into Cove at you know the toughest challenge that they have um, in football since they stepped up to the SPFL. Um, we've obviously seen it with our growth um, and other teams that you know part-time teams can compete in the championship, but it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. But um, I mean, the Paul Hartley appointment was a, a good one. It's um, it's now the challenge for Cove to to get this appointment right as well because it's um, it's a very important one in the, the history of their club. Maybe Paul Hartley going to uh, going to Hartlepool, given sort of initially turning them down, is a wee bit of a shock. But that he's moving on isn't, I don't think, a massive shock because given the job he's done in taking Cove up two leagues, personally, I thought it was probably a matter of time before there would be, a, you know, a few clubs knocking on the door or trying to tempt him to move elsewhere, really, because. You know, it's only natural when you get somebody that's doing, you know, doing well like he has done. And I mean, the other side of it, you know, he's a manager who's had success in Scotland with Cove, with Alloa, would you know, he had a promotion at Dundee as well. I just wonder if not even so much the full time element, but going to England, you know, it's a new challenge because he hasn't, you know, managed in English football. If that's uh, something that appealed to Paul Hartley as well, but. Although, you know, Cove, it's going up into the championship and sort of at their highest point and it's a difficult job for who comes next. I'm sure it's a very attractive job, really, because, you know, if you look if you look at the progression Cove have been on, they're in a good place. And you know as well that at their level, they are, you know, reasonably well resourced and, you know, and they've shown... You know, when in Paul's time or even before that, when they were in the Highland League, that they will back their manager as best they can in terms of trying to improve. So you know you're going to get a lot of support from the board and that. So I think for a lot of people looking at it, it's probably a you know a very attractive job. You know, at a good level now in the Championship, that people will be you know keen to try and have a crack at. I suppose what Paul Hartley's done off the back of taking that job um, and you know doing it really well over the last few years can also maybe be be attractive to to new managers that that might be looking at that job i mean obviously the the fact that they're approaching a championship season uh shows that they're in a, a completely different place uh to where they were when when paul hartley came in but um you, you know at the time i suppose he was looking to to sort of rebuild his his own stock after a, a difficult experience at falkirk um, and as a result of that, you know he's he's kind of won a, a move down to to full time football in in England. So um, yeah, it, it it's a, a brand new chapter, as Danny says, um, and a you know a really important juncture in in the club's history. But um, you know for for someone that 
that was a, a real coup for them at the time um to to be able to to go and 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 you know take a, a job like that just sort of proves what uh, what could be out there you know if if someone goes and succeeds in in, in that position I think what what kind of struck me wasn't I think I think something I've mentioned to a couple of people this week was normally when you get change of managers it's because a team and a club is is struggling um whereas in this instance a team is on the rise and has been on the back of 3 years and probably longer if you take into account the Highland League performances as well of consistent highs and to me that's maybe a, that's maybe a double edged sword for um Anybody that's coming in, you're going to obviously have that the club's in a great place. There's a lot of positivity and a buzz around the place that you should be able to go in there. You're not needing to lift or galvanize the place. But there's also the flip side is that you're coming into probably the biggest challenge the club's had since it got into the SPFL. And you're going to have a limited time to turn things around. Um, or not turn things around, but get things going again, given to pre-season starting in a couple of weeks friendlies, League Cup, you're going to want to get your own players in. I think it will be an attractive job. And I think we've seen some of the names that, um, obviously, we kind of put together a shortlist last week of potential candidates. And I think if if names like Barry Robson, like Stuart Kettlewell, are interested in the job, then I think that's a good thing for Cove. It's a sign of how far they've progressed. And I think it would be a there would be kind of forward-thinking appointments for for Cove as well because with, say, if you take Barry Robson, for example, he's developed a good reputation for himself as a youth coach at Aberdeen. He knows, obviously, the talent pool of the area and you'd think he'd have some good connections that would be able to bring, bring in players to Cove. Stuart Kettlewell, again, he was another who developed his, his reputation as a kind of a, a youth coach. He won the Development League with Ross County. He then progressed through the kind of the system and was kind of co-head coach at at County he managed he managed alongside Stephen Ferguson to win the championship in 2019 he had a little bit of experience in the in the premiership but it didn't end well for him but I think he's still he's still very young in terms of the managerial game that if he came in to Cove he would have the chance to put his own stamp on things and it would it would be seen as an an ambitious appointment yeah, I would I would agree with that, Jamie. I think there's you know some strong candidates there. I think that you know the the list of guys that um, that we've put together, I think w- will be um, you know the names that you know the Cove boards are looking at just now. There might be one or two other names that are slightly outside of the box. What, what I think's you know interesting is whether they're going to look at you know is this because we're going into the championship? Should we be looking at someone with you know a bit more experience? Or um, do we want to try and push for you know a, a young a young manager who um, who is who is progressive and I mean I, I I think you know someone like Stuart Cattlewell or Barry Robson I mean they would be you know good good appointments they'd be you know welcomed by um, by the Cove support but I think there's a lot of um, a lot of experienced managers in there as well that would probably look at Cove as you know a project they'd quite like to be part of so I think. I imagine that you know there's a, a good level of candidates that have been in touch with Cove already, looking at that job, and um, yeah, and, and it'll be very interesting to see um, which way they go with it because it's a club that I mean they've made um, you know no secret of their ambition and how they want to progress in Scottish football, and um, and they'll want to have someone at the at the helm as they they had with Paul Hartley 
that you know shares that desire to you know see the club continuing to push forward as it has done in recent years yeah it's um i, I don't know if it's simplistic but i kind of i look back to um cali thistle's sort of rise through the the leagues and you know when it came to losing steve patterson you know as as a sort of a new entity i i guess um as they were trying to to really um, established themselves at the, the higher end of Scottish football, you know, they were not afraid to to sort of appoint first-time first managers at that stage. And I suppose they were able to to sort of provide that platform for, for people who who wanted uh, to to go and, uh, you know, really express their their ideas on football and how it should be played with the view to, to you know, maybe moving on to, to bigger and better things. And I, I think that's quite a, a you know, a, a relevant maybe comparison to, to make just with the stage that Cove are at just now because y you look at Barry Robson um, for one there and, you know, the fact that he's not got any senior managerial experience uh, could maybe be seen as something that counts against him. But um, by the same token, you know, through all the, the credentials you've outlined there, um, it looks like one that you know, if it works out well, could be, you know, really exciting and very in tune with what Cove are trying to do. Um, likewise, Stuart Kettlewell, um, the, the big thing in his favour, I suppose, is that he's got experience of uh, what it takes to get out of the championship, um, albeit the, the circumstances were a wee bit different there because it was a, a co-manager setup. But, um, you know, at a very young age, Stuart Kettlewell does have, you know, good experience um, of, of kind of managing at senior level so th those are certainly two very um interesting candidates as danny says as well though just with where cove have got to there will be more experienced managers that that will come onto the the radar now that uh that, that wouldn't have been on you know in the past plenty of managers that that will know the the championship inside out and and feel like they can they can establish cove within that 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 setup, um, you, you know, you've you've got uh, obviously the likes of you know Jim Duffy, John Hughes, Jim McIntyre, who have a lot of experience. But again, it, it maybe isn't exactly what what Cove are looking to to do just now. Um, as a club on the rise, I would suggest that 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 younger manager is is probably what uh, what, what what they're likely to to aim for. Elsewhere in the SPFL, uh, we've got Peter Head closing in on a couple of defensive signings that look to be on the uh, experience side of things. And we had Elgin City adding um, Jake Dolzanski um, the other day, um, who'd been playing his football for junior side, Gene Field Swift. Um, I think we've maybe touched on it a little bit earlier on, Andy, but are we looking at any progress with incomings at um, the two Highland clubs? It's a it's a quiet spell just now. It's fair to say, um, not uh, not anything really on the on the cards just now. I suppose the, the the big thing really from the north is the the confirmation that Regan Charles Cook is is moving on to Pastures New. Um, he's uh, signed up for Belgian side, um, which uh, it, it's an interesting move. I I had it in my mind that he was maybe going to look for a return back to England. Um, I would imagine there probably would have been championship interest in him given the, the season that he had. But, um, you, you know, his move to, to Belgium certainly 
uh, gives him a yeah, completely fresh start and uh, certainly not the first player to move from, from Scotland to, to that league and uh, it seems to have worked out well for, for Jack Henry, maybe less so for Lawrence Shanklin but um, you no, know, I'll, be, I'll be watching his progress with, with interest but again, it, it was probably inevitable he was going to move on it, it just kind of reinforces the uh, the, the void that Ross County are going to have in terms of, of goals. Really, I, I did a piece a couple of weeks ago which charted the fact that you know losing Charles Cook, uh, Blair Spittle and Joseph Hungbo is going to account for more than half of the, the goals that, uh, that Ross County scored last season. Uh, 25 between the, the three of them alone. So um, even though there's you know high hopes for, for Josh Sims um, who's, who's come in, uh, it's clear that uh, you know reinforcements in in that top area of the pitch are going to be a, a really key priority for for Malky Mackay in these uh, these coming weeks. We can imagine there'll be more movement at those clubs in the in the coming weeks as preseason starts. That's it for part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part three, we'll move on to the comings and goings at Aberdeen. Welcome to part three of this week's episode of Northern Goal, and it's uh, one that's been going to be a potentially busy one um, for for Aberdeen. Um, the perpetually linked Calvin Ramsey may be inching closer to a move to Premier League side Liverpool, which who knows we may get an announcement on in the in the coming days. There's also Connor Barron, who's apparently been watched by Champions Celtic uh, after his kind of breakthrough half season. Um, during under Jim Goodwin. The Dons did complete the signing this week of uh, Albanian midfielder Ilber Ramadani, who I think we'd spoken about um, on the previous episodes of Northern Goal. And they've also been linked with a move for Blackburn Rovers midfielder Jacob Davenport, who's uh, a, holding, a holding player who's had kind of one or two injury issues over the last couple of years. Uh, Danny, Callum, I mean, the Dons will have anticipated the whole situation with Calvin Ramsey, given that he's been linked with so many clubs over the past six months or so. But maybe the the interest in Conor Barron's maybe not as as welcome. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I mean, starting with Calvin Ramsey, I mean, I mean, it sounds like um, my understanding is that Liverpool are kind of leading the race for um, for him. But it sounds like there's still, you know, a bit of way to go before there's... Um, an agreement between um, the Dons and Liverpool just now on a on a potential fee, and that might kind of open up the door for other clubs to come back in. I know that um, Bologna are still interested in Calvin Ramsey should they manage to um, sell Aaron Hickey. Um, so um, it's an interesting one, and I think we'll just have to kind of wait and see what what develops with that. But I think you know Aberdeen are doing the right thing by. Um, they've also got a valuation for Ramsey that they think is fair and um and they're right to um to hold out for that. They've consistently said that, you know, they don't need to sell their prized assets, but they want to be a club that develops young players and moves them on for the right fee. And, you know, we've seen recently with Scott McKenna getting, you know, a a one million pound add on thanks to Nottingham Forest um being promoted and it's right that you know, even when Calvin Ramsey moves on, that that deal is um, is right for Aberdeen. In terms of Connor Barron, you know, if I was um, advising Connor Barron, it would be definitely to you know he seems to be onto a good thing at Aberdeen. He's got a good reputation here. 
Um, chance now to go and play games um, in the top flight of Scottish football. Um, it's clear that you know Jim Goodwin's a, a fan of his, and for me, like it would be, you know, a, a really risky time for him to make a move when he appears to be at a club that you know values him. They can see that you know he might be someone that if they play him for you know a hundred games or or um, or a bit more than that, that he could be a, a real commodity for the club. Um, so if I was Conor Barron, I wouldn't be, you know, itching to leave Aberdeen any time soon. I would be looking to establish myself as a, a first team player at the club. Um, but, you know, he's came in since coming back from on loan at Celtic Hearts and really impressed. So you can understand why, you know, clubs such as Celtic might be interested in him because he does look, you know, very talented player. And, you know, he's, it's a lot to expect quite a young player to go in and, you know, stand up and, and play in those games. It doesn't look like he's phased by it at all. So he's an exciting prospect, um, but, you know, hopefully um, he'll still be at Pataudry, um come the, the start of the season because it seems like that's, you know, should probably be the, the best place for him to be uh, learning his trade. I'm uh, intrigued by, I mean, I can talk touch on those as well, but the signing of Ramadani because we've heard a lot about Aberdeen will cast the net far and wide for um, the best talent they can and changes in the recruitment strategy and, you know, all the the um, bold messages of the day, shall we say. But, I mean, if you look at the sort of wide casting of the net so far, it's brought in Ronnie Hernandez, uh, John Gallagher, I suppose, would fall into that, Jack Gurr and Vicente Bazawi. I mean, the first three that I mentioned... I wouldn't say any of them were a success at all. Bazawi, they'd be showing some flashes, so I, would, I suppose the jury's still out. So the key thing for me with Ramadani is he needs to be capable of handling the rigours of Scottish football and able to settle in and contribute because I think if you look at Hernandez as an example, he just, for whatever reason, the speed of the game, the physicality of it, he couldn't cope with it. John Gallagher, to some extent, the same Jack Gar probably as well. So that's the big thing for me with him coming in. He's described as this uh, energetic, tenacious midfield player. And if he is that, I think that's important because I think basically since Graham Shinney left, but it was exacerbated more so last season. They've been too passive in the middle of the park. There's not enough bite or enough energy there for my liking. So if he can provide that, then it could be a good signing. In terms of Ramsey... It's, I mean, if they were, if Aberdeen had to get six million for him up front, plus add-ons and a sell-on clause, is that good business? It probably is, but at the, at the same time, he's played more games and probably done better in those games than Nathan Patterson had at Rangers, and Rangers got sixteen million for him. So personally, I would maybe like to see Aberdeen try and hold out for a wee bit more up front, to be honest with you, but um, that's by the by. Another thing with Barron and the whole Celtic interest, this whole policy of trying to develop young talent and sell it on, to me, if you're going to... I don't think he will be sold to Celtic, certainly in this window, but if you're going to be selling players to rival clubs in this country, it kind of defeats the purpose of it, because, OK, you might get decent money, but you're then you're weakening yourself and making direct rivals stronger. So if you're selling to England, totally different thing. But if you are if you end up selling to other clubs in Scotland, I think it's a waste of time, quite frankly. 
Well, if we're looking at particularly the money that's been talked about with Ramsey, it, it it would be very significant, particularly to a club like Aberdeen, who they got a club record fee for Scott McKenna, and this would be more than that again. So it would give Jim Goodwin the money to put towards rebuilding the squad. But then the question comes back to if you're selling these boys, then does it leave a bigger hole in the team and it still leaves you work to do to go and to go and find to go and find replacements for them and they won't come cheap. Um, they obviously have been linked. I think they have been linked with Liam Scales as well from from Celtic on a on a permanent move, and I think that would that would go somewhere to fill in the kind of the gap down the maybe the gap down the left hand side. If if Goodwin sees Johnny Hayes in his kind of like twilight years playing a bit further forwards, it would bring someone in to compete with what I think Jack McKenzie is the only kind of left back kind of contracted at the minute, and it would give it would give cover down down that side but I think over the coming weeks I would like to think given that the, the Dons are in League Cup action this year um, that the kind of the signings will start to come a little bit a little bit kind of more quickly now given that I imagine Jim Goodwin will want the bulk of his squad in place for for the start of pre-season Yeah and Hearts and Hibs are kind of stepping up they've started to you know announce a few signings now um, so Aberdeen fans are kind of you know desperate for the same I think I think Liam Scales could be an interesting one, but um, you know, purely on the—I mean, it seems to be on the basis that you know potentially it might be a, a loan to buy um, deal or a, a permanent deal. Um, you can understand the, you know, the frustrations of Aberdeen fans if they, if they they've seen like you know a few times where players maybe came on loan from you know clubs such as Celtic and you know they may be developing at Pataudry, but. You know, Aberdeen aren't really getting the long-term benefits of that. Whereas, if they were to sign Scales on a permanent deal, as they've done with um, you know Ross McCrory from Rangers, then you know you are actually seeing that you know that might be a deal that is beneficial to the club in the long term, and that you've got ownership over that player as well. So you aren't just you know developing a player; you're actually you know having an asset at the club that can either be be sold be sold on at some stage as well. So um, I, I think I mean. In the, I think he's only made thirteen appearances for Celtic, but he has looked um, in in those occasions. I guess a, a kind of useful player, um, and obviously left sided defender since the departure of Andy Constein. Um, you know, it would it would be a, an area that that requires strengthening. So, um, so yeah, you can understand why why the Dons might be interested in him. I think it'll also be a busy. Busy few weeks ahead at Pitodri as as Jim Goodwin looks to get his squad in place ahead of that first um, that first kind of League Cup game, which is up at Balmour on Sunday, July the tenth, and uh, that'll be all for today's episode of Northern Goal. Thanks again today to Callum, Danny, and Andy for their help. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. No bother. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to get in touch, email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Take care, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.